The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. This is Front Row, and I'm your host, James Whiteside, principal dancer and choreographer with American Ballet Theater and the author of Center Center. Take a seat in the front row as I discuss the creative process and the business of creativity with the world's brightest stars. Rozzy is an American neo-soul singer-songwriter who burst on the music scene after being discovered and signed by Maroon 5 frontman Adam Levine. Soon after, she was touring the country with Maroon 5 and honing her craft on stage. In 2018, Rozzy released her debut album, Bad Together, and the EP's Hymn for Tomorrow and Barry in 2021 and 2022. Her music has been featured on Apple's The Morning Show and will soon be a part of a new Netflix film starring Kevin Hart. Rozzy's energy is infectious. With new music and a deluxe album on the way, Rozzy knows who she is and what she wants from the music industry. In this interview, she tells me about her early days on tour with Adam Levine and Maroon 5. She sings some Aretha Franklin hits for me, and we talk about one of her most popular songs, The Best Friends Song, and how another artist maybe stole her thunder. I'm so lucky to call this amazing artist my friend. Please welcome Rozzy to the front row. Rozzy, welcome to Front Row. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Rozzy, where did you and I meet? We met um, through Isabella Boylston. Did we meet in Orange County? Is that when I first met you? I can't remember the first time we met, frankly, which is so depressing. But uh, we met. I mean, I probably was like over text or something. Hmm. I feel like because I you didn't come to the Madman video shoot, did you? No. So I met you when you came to Orange County. You met us at the hotel and we took pictures of you and Isabella. Yes, and, exactly. Okay, so for the for the listeners, Isabella Boylston is a fellow principal dancer with American Ballet Theater and a very dear friend of mine, my bestie, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And you connected with Isabella on Instagram, correct? Yeah, I just DM'd her. 
like a fan, really. I just DM'd her because I'm a fan. I mean, I was a fan of, I, I remember my best friend, Taddy, showed me the two of you because Tat's obsessed with ballet. I am obsessed with ballet. And Tat was like, you have to see these best friends. They call each other Cindy. They're so cute. Like, they're so talented, but then so funny. She's like, they're like, whatever. And so I just became obsessed and I wanted Isabella to dance to one of my songs. So I DM'd her and then she just responded. I mean, it was amazing because how many times have you DM'd someone and they don't care? And the fact that it yeah. connected was really magical. But when I remember when I first met you, I mean, I'm sure you've been told this a million times, like you are the most intimidating, like you, and it's so, cause you're so nice, but you're so intimidating. I was terrified. I was like, please like me. Please think I'm cool. I was so afraid. That is so <laughs> strange. That is like the exact opposite of what I try to do. But you know, sometimes you just can't, you can't fight your it. nature. You can't help I, your My like mean daddy energy just really comes through, even it's though I'm really smiling. Hot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we we met. I remember we were. I was taking photos of the two of you to sort of promote this single that you were working on called Madman, which was about the sort of double standards of emotion between you know male and female energies. And uh, you had asked Isabella Boylston to dance for the music video, and then in time, Bella asked me to choreograph the music video. So I wasn't actually even at the shoot. I had another gig and I choreographed this whole dance for her, which she performs live with you sometimes, which is very exhilarating for me as a choreographer to have the opportunity to see something I make like come back over and over again. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorite. But we, we took some pictures. Things to do. Yeah. We took some pictures. I, yeah. And I, um, I was terrified and it was really fun, but I, but doing Madman has been one of my, just like, I don't know if we're going to talk more about it, but it's a highlight of my life i'm not even being hyperbolic like having your brilliant choreography isabella's brilliant movement and athleticism and artistry to to express this very personal emotion of mine it's been like the biggest mind i mean it's just like to see somebody um the way i've always described it is express exactly how i felt in a way that i could never express it mm. it's just mm. the coolest like it's just one it's the most like satisfying feeling to watch her you guys bring it to life really it's just a dream come true. i mean music yeah. and dance the a match made in actual match heaven. made in heaven exactly yeah and i loved doing that so much and trying to like you said just make the emotion of of the song come through it was such a good time okay but that aside i want to go back 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 in time yes. and talk okay. about your beginnings so yes I imagine you were a child who was singing at all times. Am I wrong? You are right. You are very right. So tell me when you knew that you wanted to pursue singing more seriously. And what was your training like? How did it happen? Yeah. Um, it was very literally the first grade talent show. I was six years old. I sang a jewel song in the first grade talent show. And I will never forget it. I sat down on the bleachers and I just knew. I mean, I can't explain it other than I've never been that sure of anything ever again. Like that was just like, mm. and I've never questioned it. Not even for one moment. I mean, I'm, as I'm sure every artist on this podcast can attest, like being an artist is impossible. And there's, a, there's tons of doubt and there's tons of uphill battles along the way, but I never from that moment <laughs> ever questioned it again. So I'm also just very obsessive and uh, stubborn. So I just kind of committed. And my training was, I don't have any artists in my family. I have like artistically inclined family members, but no artists. So hmm. that was frankly, in hindsight, 
uh, a bit of a disadvantage because I feel like I, I didn't really have that, that guidance. I had to kind of find it elsewhere. But I was lucky enough to be like in hippie San Francisco where I could like sing in soul band at school. And I did like community theater. And I, I went to American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco where I got to like have some performance opportunities. But it wasn't, and I had an amazing voice teacher named Amber Morris in the Bay Area too, who was just, the fact that she was there just feels like luck. I, I don't know. I mean, she's just brilliant. And when did you start with her? When I was 14. Okay. In high school. So can I just do a weird flex for a moment? Yeah, please. So um, you mentioned Jewel and I opened my Instagram one day and <laughs> I had posted a video and just on my comments, there was Jewel. And <sighs> she said something like, this is so funny. And I'm like, I can't believe <laughs> Jewel, like the Jewel is commenting on my stupid video. <laughs> okay. Can I do like, Can I do a quick flex? Yes. One day I opened up my Instagram and Jewel was following me. So, <laughs> okay. And I mean, DM'd and, um, I DM her like a lot and like, kind of, this is actually perfectly full circle. She doesn't always respond, you know, and I respect it. She's a busy woman with a, she's a mom, she's working, she's, she's got a lot going on, but I am still quite the diehard. So I'll just like send her stuff all the time. You'll be like, I love this. <laughs> just yeah. like her biggest fan in the DMs. Always. Oh my, not <laughs> us being jewel stands on the podcast. Ah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So you started with Amber and what was your early training yeah. like? What did that look like? Well, I had like dabbled in with other teachers like here and there growing up, but but now that I understand what it really means to commit to something and like really learn how to do something, I say starting with Amber is kind of when it all began. And that's no disrespect mm. to teachers I worked with previously. I think it was more just like a little bit of it was more experimental, maybe that's on me. I just when I found Amber, it was like, okay, technique is like a daily practice. Hmm. Um, and soulfulness is everything. Like, if that makes sense. It was, it was like, Amber was one of the first people to really force me to connect to my emotions, which is a common theme in my career. I've, I've, I've needed people throughout my journey to kind of reconnect me to my emotions because I can get, um, like I said, obsessive and I'm just ambitious. So I get kind of focus on an end goal rather than sometimes the the journey itself. And yeah, and Amber yeah. really reminded me that like this is coming from my soul, as cheesy as that sounds. And she did it through like really specific singing technique that is boring. But And w- <laughs> what were your <laughs> inspirations as a teenager? What were you listening to and trying to emulate? What were you infusing into your own work? So I discovered Amy Winehouse around then, when I, around when I was uh-huh. 14. And that was a big light bulb for me because before then, I remember having this anxiety. Like I remember talking to somebody in middle school being like, how am I going to be a pop star when I want to sing like really soulfully mm. and I don't want to like dance around like Britney Spears? I love Britney Spears, but I was like, that's not me. That's not like what I'm trying to do. And I remember that confusion as like a, mm-hmm. as, like, a 12-year-old. And when Amy Winehouse came onto the scene, I was like, it was a light bulb for me because I was like, oh, okay, here's the kind of songwriter, soul singer. She's fun and she's funny, but she's like really just deep. 
And that was, that was a big light bulb that happened again when I, I didn't really discover Lauren Hill till I was maybe 17 or 18. That happened again, then just kind of like in my Mm. mind, but I was listening to all sorts of stuff. I mean, my, my, my music taste is a big range. I like, I like a lot, a little of everything as long as it's good. Is there, is there one song that you sang a lot when you were a kid? Like when you were a teenager, what did you practice with? And if you're willing, can we hear a little bit? Oh my God. I'm trying to remember what I sang a lot when I, I mean, I must, I feel like the first one that comes to mind is I feel like I sang, uh, like a bridge over troubled water. I will lay me down. But, but the Aretha version, mm. the Aretha Franklin version of bridge over troubled oh, water. I, I feel like it. I did love let me think what else i did oh i remember uh this was a really scary one for me in high school um you better think think about what you're trying to do to me and then there's like that whole section another aretha song uh freedom freedom yeah freedom freedom a 14 year old (laughs) me could hear how casually i just did that in the morning she would be yeah stoked because <laughs> that was a big deal did you do pep rallies and things at school where you got to sort of show off a little bit and practice yeah yeah we had um my, my school was like quite the hippie it, it wasn't your classic we didn't have like cheerleaders and stuff it was more like there was a garden and people like it's very san francisco and Wait, which so was amazing. what type of school was this was it a public school was it a, it's a private a, like school a, a private school it's a was private it all girls school. or no, it was it was co-ed. It was like shirt and shoes was the only dress code. It's I can't, the only way I can describe it is quintessential kind of Bay Area. Like yeah. very lucky to go there, you know, like a fair amount of privilege, but also a heavy dose of I want to say like woke before woke. Like mm. it was it was woke before there was woke. That like that's it's like it's a it's a very liberal, very liberal yeah. hippies. community. Good old fashioned hippies. hippies. Exactly. exactly. We love hippies. And like a great education. <laughs> um, yeah, love. Yeah, great education and incredibly grateful to get to go to that school. But it wasn't your traditional high school. And that was nice too as an artist because it was kind of safe space. Yeah. But one thing I really remember speaking of hippies, when I left for Los Angeles, I felt this. I, I kind of remember a weight off my shoulders because the thing about the Bay Area, and not to generalize, and it's very different now. San Francisco is a completely different place now. But when I was growing up with the kind of hippie culture, creativity was like paramount, so celebrated. Everybody respected creativity, but ambition and using your creativity to make money and make that your job, less so. There was a lot of like, can't you just love to sing at school and then go off and like be a lawyer or something i don't know like there, it wasn't it was it was it wasn't it wasn't the way it is in la or new york where it, it's it was wonderful to get to la and have so many people around me being like i want to be an artist professionally that was yeah. i didn't really have that when i was growing up i don't yeah. know, love examples of that yeah yeah gosh yeah. i mean but i did get to show off at school a lot that was fun <laughs> i do remember one one pep rally in which my friend michelle and I, who uh, she ended up, you know, I don't know where she is now, but she was really fun and fabulous and beautiful. And I think she was a Playboy bunny for a while. Um, Damn. And we had done, we choreographed 
a number to a live version of Baby One More Time, in which there was like a whole dance break, you know, orchestrated (laughs) into it. And I remember just being this, you know, 15-year-old twink in Fairfield, Connecticut, (laughs) going out in front of the entire school and doing like a full-on slutty jazz dance. Like, pardon me, but it was very fun. Wait, that also reminds me quickly of a story that I feel like you'll like, which is when I was in fourth grade, my friends and I choreographed a dance to Lady Marmalade. Oh, yeah. I think you've told me about this. Yeah, it's because I got in trouble for being too slutty. That's what it was. <laughs> by the way, I'm, st- I'm still upset about because I feel 1000% slut shamed. First of all, you have to picture me. I mean, fourth grade, a lot, not that many girls are going through puberty, but I would not go through puberty for like almost a decade. Like I didn't get boobs till I was 17 years old. Like hmm. I was teeny, 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 but I mm-hmm. was like, I'm working it. Like I was just, I was in this little crop top sequins. I was like strutting around and all four of us did it. And I was the only one who had to speak to the guidance counselor. And she said, I'm, I'm afraid she, she literally said, you're going to get quote unquote pigeonholed as that kind of girl. And I remember my dad getting really mad being like, you can't tell my daughter that she's not allowed to, you know, cause I didn't, it wasn't like, um, maybe I should explain. I wasn't like stripping. I was just like mm-hmm. dancing, you know? <laughs> and I think the fact that I was, um, were you pigeonholed as that kind of girl? No, actually. But maybe that's because I would, it would never dawn on me to even see it that way. Like if I did, if I was pigeonholed, it didn't, I didn't even notice. Cause I was like, I'm a performer. I was very confident. I, it, yeah. I think if I was a different person, maybe. Uh, but fortunately, I think I had enough, like, I was grounded in what I, in my dreams. So it, it wasn't for any reason other than I wanted to do it. So I didn't, it didn't really phase me. If but you I think I'm a slut, shame. that's your fault. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that. By the way, I agree still. If anyone thinks anyone's a slut, that's, that's not on the slut's problem. That's I not totally the agree. <laughs> I'm, I celebrate sluts around the world. Same here. <laughs> so I want to talk about uh, beyond high school. I want to talk about your first big break. And what, yes. what was that? Um, so I was at USC in the music school, at the popular music school at USC. Um, and uh, I was about, so I don't know if this counts. I sang uh, my first job professionally, like other than just little stuff here and there was um, I was Sergio Mendez's background singer. And he's this like massive Brazilian jazz legend, uh, Brazil 66. And I don't speak Portuguese, but every Sunday, my freshman year of college, I would drive to the Valley in LA and sit with his beautiful and brilliant wife, Gracia Mendez. And she would teach me the pronunciation of all the Portuguese words. And then I went on my mm. first tour in Europe with them. And it was just a dream come true. I and mean, it was like, I, 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 sometimes I remember like being 19 and being on that first tour and just like the joy that you can only feel when you, you're not even a little bit jaded, you know, it's just like yeah. pure bliss. So How did you get shot. that gig? One of my teachers at USC recommended me, and then I went and auditioned. Wow. And another teacher recommended me, and I, my second job was I was Don Henley's background singer, Don Henley from the Eagles, So, mm-hmm. which was another. I remember singing for him um, at the Greek in Los Angeles and just being up there. I mean, again, it's I treasure those memories because obviously I've had so many highs on my own since then. But there's just nothing like those first few times when you get a taste of something you've been dreaming about since you were six years old that I can't, I'll never feel that 
it will never be that pure again. Yeah. So those are my first jobs. But then I got around the same time, actually, I got signed for the first time. Adam Levine from Maroon 5 heard a song that I wrote. How did he get it? So I, I was in songwriting class and there was a guy in the class. He was like, kind of like, what's that word where you just like take, you're not in school, but you can take the class anyway. Like whatever that audit is, it. like you can audit it. Exactly. Um, and his name is Jock, 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 Brout Bar. And he asked me to write a song with him. Um, and I remember being like a few percents and I had no reason to, other than a vibe. I was like, maybe I'll just do this on campus. I was a little afraid. I was like, I don't know you, yeah. you're older than me. We're going to write this on campus. But yes, yeah. like, I said yes to everything. So we wrote a song. It was, it went well. And then he had another friend who was a producer who he wanted to write with. So we, the, that was, his name is Sam Farrar. They were both in a band called Phantom Planet. That was, mm-hmm. uh, California. Exactly. Yeah. So we wrote another song and Sam was managed by this man named Jordan Feldstein, who is Maroon 5's, was Maroon 5's manager. And he sent it to him and Jordan sent it to Adam. And then quite literally, Adam wrote me an email. I was at a party. I was at a college party. Mm-hmm. And I got an email from Adam Levine. I was 19. And it was basically being like, I don't have a label, but I think you're the reason to start one. And I will start one if you will be the first artist I sign. And it was, I mean, fairy tale moment, crazy. Wild. Couldn't believe it. Yeah plucked out of I was playing like you know frat parties that's where I was the shows I was playing and then obviously background singing and that was amazing definitely changed my life and I could I mean there's a million angles on how that experience went down it did a lot of good and 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 also some complicated stuff for me but it was that was my first big break for sure amazing can we talk a little bit about the complications that Mm -hmm. uh, were born of that what what sort of things were difficult this is the easiest way I can explain it. When you're a young teenager, when you're a teenage girl and you're in a room with incredibly successful, wealthy, older men, um, and they tell you, this is who you are. It's one thing for you to say, I don't think that's me. That's not me. Mm -hmm. But if you're not able to follow it up with, this is who I am, actually, it's, you're kind of screwed. That that's mm. that's how I would explain it. Um, I was really green. Like I said, I grew up without a lot of examples of how to be an artist. Mm-hmm. I was le- I was very early in the process of actually learning what it meant to be an artist, the practice of being an artist, what actually is important, what isn't. And I was just laser focused on success at the time, mm. and which is a great quality. But it but when for me it ended up being a bit of a issue because I, I think I let that ambition, um, kind of supersede my artistic integrity and which, which actually, which actually was a detriment to my success, which I can get into Mm. more, but because I was, what were the, sorry to interrupt, but what were the things that these older successful, rich men were suggesting you be? Um, not a songwriter. They wanted me to sing songs I didn't write. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of those songs are out and I wish they weren't to be completely honest. I never want to tell people that I, which ones. Yeah. And this is okay. This is, I I never really, I'll say this because who cares at this point? And also we're friends and I just feel like it. I I always feel bad 
saying the songs because I know there are people who still love them and I don't want to take that away from them. You know, like I am happy for them that they yeah. have a song that they love, but it's tricky for me when I don't feel ownership. So it's just the songs that I didn't write. There's one called crazy ass bitch. There's one called psycho and I don't own them. Universal interscope owns them. And I, and I wish they would go away to be completely honest. I've tried to get them to go away because I find them. I have a bunch of other old songs that, that do feel like early, early me. And I see the beginnings of me and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of where I started and where I've grown as an artist. But those two songs I did not write. I kind of had, if I wanted to go on these tours, if I wanted to get these um, opportunities, I, I had to sing them, which again, I'm not, um, I don't think that's an evil or a wrong thing for, for the, these men to have done. I think they were doing their best with what they understood. You know, you get songs written by the best songwriters in the world and then you have a great singer record them and you put them out and you have a hit. I totally understand the process, the thought process. Yeah. And I don't, I don't blame anybody for that, but it didn't take into account me. It didn't take into account who I was, what was unique about me. It was plugging me into an equation. Did you know what was unique about you at the time? No, I had an inkling, but I really didn't. And I think that's the problem. I think I was a little too, it was, it came a little too early for me. Like, I think that I am a late bloomer, like literally, but also emotionally and artistically. And granted, I, it's very likely I needed this whole experience in order to find that, you know, that's the thing about life. You, you, you want to say, if I had known X, Y, Z that I know now then, but that's not how that's not possible. I, Mm -hmm. I learned this after going through this. I'm a, I'm a storyteller and what's unique about me is my voice, both my like literal voice and my voice as a, as a personal storyteller. I write very personal songs and tell Mm -hmm. very personal stories. And that is what's unique about me. That is my fingerprint. And to have me sing songs that I didn't write, especially songs like the ones they had me sing that were just not me. It just, we, we weren't taking advantage of what I was. Um, and I think it was, you know, a, 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 the, the way we should have done it, in my opinion, was the long road that was harder. This was kind of the trying to Fast cut, cut the line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and it, and it, I got so many, I got to tour, you know, multiple times opening for Maroon 5. I used to sing the Christina Aguilera part on Moves Like Jagger every night. I sang the Mary J. Blige part on Wake Up Call every night. It was so fun. I learned so much. I got my first fans. I learned how to play live. I wouldn't trade it. It was an unbelievable experience. And I, and it's, yeah. it is what opened the door, you know? And then I, and it, and it connected me to where I went next. But it definitely has left some scars for me because yeah. what, what, I, what I really learned is that what makes me happy is not success for success sake. All my ambition, all my laser focus. I thought was just about success and Mm. being the greatest, being the greatest. That was what I wanted to be. But what it, what it turns out, what it really was, was being the greatest on my own, by my own standards and on my own, my own way. And I've discovered that if people love that song, crazy ass bitch, whenever they tweet me about it or DM me about it, like, I don't feel good. I don't like, I'm like, I don't care if you like that. That's not me, you know? So success for success sake is, it turns out is completely boring to me. I want, to make something that I am deeply obsessed with that really represents me and then have people, if people love that, that's, that's what I'm chasing. That's a really long winded answer, but (laughs) no, it's not complicated. I completely understand it. Um, you know, I think about ballet and what I do and there's 
I mean, it's essentially all interpretive. So the choreography is set and I do it basically. And I'm trying to infuse it with as much me as possible, but it's really Mm -hmm. difficult, especially when generations of dancers have done the same parts as you. Uh, So it's really difficult. And I think about acting also. Mm -hmm. I think about actors and filmmaking and television. And it's strange, this weird, we have a little bit of a double standard with being creative when it comes to songwriters, musicians, actors, whatever, because the actors are interpretive artists as well. It's very rare that they're writing and performing their own work, incredibly rare. And when it does happen, sometimes it's a complete fail and sometimes it's it's unbelievable, like um, like I May Destroy You, which was HBO, I believe. I, th- I haven't I believe seen it, Michaela, but I've heard I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, uh, yeah I think yeah. she wrote that. Um, like think people like Tina Fey who write and perform mm-hmm. their own work. But uh, you know, generally actors are interpreting other people's work. And it's weird because we celebrate that as the pinnacle of creativity and achievement. These artists like, you know, the Meryl Streeps of the world. Right. Um, but when it comes to musicians, being an interpretive artist is viewed as slightly less than, which I don't yeah. quite understand. But um, that's kind of new, though, because that that kind of changed in the seventies when yes, the, singer, the singer songwriters. Because before that, like for example, Aretha, who I keep talking about, she didn't write everything, if if anything. I mean, she maybe she wrote some, but she she that's not her. She was mostly interpreting, mm. and she's actually famous for. I mean, respect is a cover. Like she's famous for some of her biggest covers. I mean, all those big stars like Whitney Houston and I mean, Dolly Parton was one of the first people who really, uh, like big pop stars that wrote her own songs. It's so interesting. And that's very country. And to bring it back to country, actually, I feel like you are a pop singer with a country heart. Yeah. Like you, yeah. you tell, I know what you, you mean. speak yeah. like a, it's a country <laughs> song, but it sounds like a soul track. You know what I mean? Yes. And totally. I think that's a, a rare and very fabulous thing, frankly. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I, and I just want to make sure like, I'm not knocking at all singers who don't write at all. I have endless respect for that. You know, there's I, some of my favorite singers on earth aren't writers. Um, and I completely agree with you. That is not less, lesser than. It's only when you have a story to tell and you're being called to be a writer that it doesn't feel so good. You know, yeah. like it just didn't feel good to me because I was yes. rejecting the writer in myself that I'd always been. But I just was I was letting other people convince me I wasn't what I always knew I was, you know, and, and that's what's uncomfortable. Yeah, I totally hear that. And I think yeah. it's very strange because at least I have to relate it to what I do. It's like, I, I don't always do things that I like. Right. And quite often, I, I mean, I'm rarely ever playing a part that speaks to my true nature as a gay man, you know? Right. So I, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying where you just want to, you want to be yourself. You want to share who you are. Which is yeah, interesting. I fight for spaces to be myself. I fight for spaces yeah. to create things for myself and for others that feel like I'm making a stamp on a thing that that I'm always interpreting. You know what I mean? Totally, and, totally. And that's it's like a, a little war that I'm waging against everything that I do. It's like it, it's worth it sometimes, and a lot of the times I'm like, why am I doing that? Like, what's this fight for? 
just right. shut up and do Romeo and and have a good time. But even when you do Romeo, I mean, I feel like there's a reason why you're so many people's favorite. Because like you said, it's been done how many times in history? You know, like so many people have done that. But there's a reason why you stand out to people. Even if you are doing the same steps that have been done thousands of times before, there's a signature to it. But I hear what you're saying. It's like you're being called to, it's like acting. You're being called to play a role. But but like acting, people certainly bring like a hefty amount of themselves, I think, yes. to it. Oh my gosh, you know? exactly. Yes, I totally agree with that. And, you know, with ballet and with with singers, you go to see them, regardless of whether they're singing you know, somebody else's song, whether they're covering something, whatever you're, you're there and you're appreciating that person. And that goes for the Romeos, the Siegfrieds, the whatever, all the ballet roles that I do. Um, You're not going to not be able to see me as a person. It's just not possible. And, you know, maybe that takes you out of the story, but you're still there. And I hope you're having a good time. I think they are. (laughs) So, I, let's move on a little bit from that era. And I want to talk about um, the past couple of releases that you've had, the the changes in management, and all of those sort of business difficulties that that artists face when when they're not nineteen and being you know given a contract. Yeah. It's kind of like I kind of feel like it's similar to dating a little bit, managers, long-term relationships. Like I've had I'm on my third manager. And I have to say, the previous two certainly played their role for what I had to learn. Something I had mm-hmm. to learn, something like I, you know, I personally, when it comes to dating, I, I personally think the concept of dating to marry is insane, personally. I don't understand when people say, I just wasted two years of my life. I've never understood that. I'm like, is the point of your life just to, to, to be married? I don't know. To me, to me, that's, I, I, I can't really wrap, wrap my brain around it because I'm yeah. like, the point of, uh, for me, it's not that I don't maybe one day want to get married, but that it's, it's about experiencing and learning about yourself and fun. And, and I'm so grateful for all sorts of relationships in my life that don't serve me anymore. So I feel similarly yeah. about managers. Like I had two before that just had to teach me something. They served their part in an incredible way for me at the time. And not, and ways that didn't work for me. And there's a reason yeah. why does, we're not together anymore. And now I'm with a manager that I, that just, I love so much. And I feel like for the first time in my career, I have a manager who truly lets me be the artist. I'm calling the shots creatively. Not that she doesn't have wonderful ideas. She really does. I love her taste and I ask for it all the time. But end of the day, I'm the artist. I'm making the music. There's no debate about what kind of music I'm making. I'm I'm deciding what kind of music I'm making. Yeah. And that seems like it should be obvious, but it's not, especially when you start really young and somebody, like I was saying, kind of projects their vision onto you. Yeah. So that's kind of what I have with my first situation, like we already discussed. Then I worked with this uh, manager who was exactly what I needed at the time. He really knew how to bring out the songwriter in me kind of the exact opposite of what I'd had before. He really knew how Mm. to pull the the storyteller out. He believed in me and as a writer from the jump and he would have me every day. He taught me my process. Frankly, he taught me my songwriting process, which is what I do now, which is most mornings I'll wake up and get caffeinated and write lyrics. I write poems, I write concepts and I do that all the time. And then I'll bring them into rooms with another writer that I love and respect, usually somebody at this point that I already know and like mm-hmm. to work with. 
and we'll just like jam and write a song. I did not have that process before. I used to be terrified to go into writing rooms because I didn't believe in myself and I didn't know how to do it. Like I didn't know myself enough to know that I'm shy. I'm shyer than I seem. And to go into a room and share my very personal stories, which is what I like to do when I write, it's just not going to work. I'm going to go in there and be weird and quiet and like agreeable <laughs> when I don't like it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he taught me that process, which I'll, I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. And I'm eternally grateful. In the end, he had a bit more of, um, he had a vision for me that was different from my vision for me. And I didn't feel free um, to be the artist that I wanted to be. We signed a deal. He, he got me a deal with Columbia Records. That was part mm-hmm. two of the label journey. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that, this, speaking of like the business stuff that you face along the way, that's just heartbreaking is the president of Columbia. I wrote for two years. I wrote songs for two years. That's all I did. And then we were finally getting ready to go. The album was done. They had a single. The single was uh, out. It was about to crack top 20 at Hot AC Radio. And the president of Columbia Records changed. And the new guy just didn't care about me. He didn't sign me. He didn't get it. He didn't like it. He let me go. He gave me back my master's. He basically told the label, don't put it more any money in, don't put any more money in this, is what he basically and said. What was the song that was on the radio? Never Over You was out. Um and Uphill Battle, I just sung Uphill Battle on Jimmy Kimmel, and it had like uh like my the sales had gone up like some psychotic percentage. Like it was mm. like we saw the spark, basically, but yeah. it didn't catch yeah. the flame. Um, and I finally felt like myself again, you know, from, I really felt like I was, and listen, I've evolved since then too. It's a constant evolution. There's, I'm somewhere, I'm somewhere new now, but like I said before, those songs don't embarrass me. I'm like, yeah, that's a part of my, that's a part of my journey. journey. You can see, yeah, you can see the through line. So that was so exciting. I was singing uphill battle, one of the most personal songs I've ever written in my life on Jimmy Kimmel and people were reacting and then just like a label thing that happens a lot. It happens with like movie studios. It happens a lot. Um, so hard. Where leadership changes. Really hard. Re- that was really hard. That was really painful. And I was pretty traumatized from being dropped the first time. I got dropped by Adam, if I failed to mention. I got dropped there when that just didn't pan out. So I was pretty, I was pretty traumatized. I was pretty heartbreaking. Um, and I kind of had to start over again because both times I got dropped, I also left my management because I didn't like how that was going. Mm. So yeah, once again, starting over, incredibly hard, uh, really painful, but end of the day led me to Wendy, my lovely manager that I have now, Wendy Laster, Magus Entertainment. I love her. And it led me to BMG, which is my label now who I love. And they have given me an artistic freedom like I've never experienced. And I would say all the work that we've done in terms of really really focusing on developing a brand and a sound that is me is just now in the past, I would say six months, I'm really starting to see it pay off in a way that's new in my career. That's really exciting. That feels like we're really building something from the ground up rather than kind of doing this one song to radio and hope it's a massive hit game. Yeah. So with your new management, the new label BMG was Barry released with. Yeah. With BMG, okay, and him for tomorrow, yeah, okay, yeah. I'd like to play a, a snippet of a song, okay, for my audience, and I'd like you to tell me which one to play. Oh, okay. Um, let's do consequences. 
I feel like your audience is fun. And this (laughs) is a clip of Consequences. Enjoy. So, Rosie, I really want to know what the next project on the horizon is for you. Yes. So, Barry was part two of my album. I put out Him for Tomorrow as part one, Barry is part two. And at the end of this year, it will all be put together the way it always was intended to be as a deluxe one album, which mm. we, we, we release it in segments because the wor- the we just the world consumes quickly. So, that's just kind of a smart way to release. But it's it's mm. one album. and it's going to all be out with four more songs that I'm very excited about. By the time this comes out, if it's October, I can say that the first single from this deluxe is called Past Life. And it's a duet with me and the incredible PJ Morton, who's this like, if you don't know him, he's this brilliant R&B gospel singer, four-time Grammy winner. I love him. He's also uh, was like a late addition to Maroon 5. They kind of brought mm-hmm. him in later. And that's how I know him. We used to we were on the quiet bus together back <laughs> when I used to tour with them. There's like the rowdy bus that played video games all night. And then there was the quiet bus that was like moody and talked. I was on the quiet bus <laughs> with PJ and uh, I love him. And I'm, I'm so, so grateful to have him on the record. Uh, Can you give whole... us a little vocal preview? Yes. Uh, let's see. Actually, you know what, James, I played you this song years ago and I rem- remember you, I was like, I'm not sure about it. And I remember you saying, I think you should keep that one in mind. There's something about that one. I, I swear to God, it was like you and Bella and Connor. And we were at my apartment, weren't we? Yes, we passed it. Yeah. And you guys really yes. liked this one. Anyway, it's finally coming out. Wow. <laughs> um, I know. Uh, okay, here's a bit. Um, I think we did this in a past life. The way you're touching me, it can't be the first time. Just match it, but it feels like you've been mine. I think I knew you. I knew you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, (laughs) I love it. It's amazing what a long road these songs can have. I mean, that was years ago. One of my goals for this next record is. to have a faster turnaround. I, I think I might, the reason it sometimes takes so long is because I am really attached to the idea of albums hmm. and for, for a label, they're like, okay, cool. But really it's singles. So yeah. I, I end up having to space things out in a way and everything just takes long. Music industry yeah. is brutally slow until they're fast. They're brutally slow until they're fast. So I, I think I might release my attachment to albums for a little bit and just see what happens if I just start doing singles. Cause I, I, I agree with you. It gets kind of, um, it's crazy how long. What about, I mean, think about the freedom, the sort of creative freedom that singles could offer though, because you're not creating a concept from front to back. Like you're not doing 12 song storytelling. It's just so fun. It's just so fun to do the concept. I, I, you're right. And I think, I've been through it enough. The slow process drives me crazy, especially because these songs are so personal. By the time it comes out, I was like, I'm, a, I'm in a nether universe by the time the song yeah. comes out in my life. Yeah. That's less fun. So I think I'm going to try that because I agree. But anyway, Deluxe is coming out. Um, I'm playing this really fun show. Oh, that'll be over by now. But September in, in New York, I'm playing Forest Hill Stadium, 
which I'm really excited oh, yeah. about opening for Haim and Cheryl Crow and the Roots. It's like the wow. dreamiest lineup ever. I'm so oh excited. Gosh. You have to come. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll be there. And yes. And then also by the time this comes out, so I can say it, um, I think in like two weeks, uh, I think August 26th, this big Netflix movie is coming out with Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg. And the opening minute is a montage of them being best friends with my song, Best Friend Song. So I'm really excited <sighs> about that. Yeah, that's oh, really big. I mean, okay. So speaking of that, I want to talk about placement. How does yes. your song get placed in a major film? How does that happen? Honestly, I don't know. Like I have a team. BMG has a team and they're pitching all the time. If you have a publisher, mm-hmm. which I don't, they often are pitching too. Um, mm-hmm. This just, they emailed us. I have no idea how they, what happened. They just emailed me and they were just wanting to use it. So I don't know. They probably just went on Spotify and typed in best friend, best friend in, the, yeah. in the thing and yours <laughs> came up first. <laughs> I don't know if I really should tell this story, but really quickly, and you can cut this out if you decide it's too spicy. Okay. So you guys know that, you know that song, best friend or whatever the, uh, what's her name? Sweetie. Yes. Best friend. Okay. I played a show May, 2020 on zoom, a USD. She went to USC too. And we both were the performers for the like zoom graduation for USC. Yeah. I went first. My last song was best friend song. I played it. The Dean talked about me for a second and then introduced sweetie and sweetie goes, Oh my God, Rosie was so amazing. I love that best friend song. We got a collab. And then she emailed me, her team emailed me and I was like, 100% would love to collaborate with you anytime, anything. What would you like to do? No response. And about three months later, um, her best friend song came out. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, that weird. is <laughs> that is a tough coincidence. Uh oh. I hope I'm I wrong. Mean, I hope I'm wrong. Maybe she just I hope heard you are it and too. was like, "I hope she was." I hope she heard it and was like, "That's funny. I have that too. Maybe we should like find some way to connect on it or something." And then she just was like, "Whatever. I'll just put mine out." That's that's my that's my um optimist. Okay. All right. And I'm with that optimistic with that. outlook, I'm going to play my <laughs> listeners a clip of the best friend song. I love that song so much. Thank you. <laughs> I remember hearing that song for the first time and just being like, this is incredible. Thank you. It's going to be fabulous in the movie. And I think yes. you're going to get a lot of sales and streams from that. Yes. So that's very, I very so. exciting from the from a business standpoint. It is. Um, where can my listeners follow you on the interwebs? They can find me on all the social medias that exist um, at This Is Rozzy, R-O-Z-Z-I. Everywhere. Amazing. Instagram's my favorite, but I have all of them. And you're on Spotify, Apple Music, every music yes. platform. Do find Rozzy, follow, and download the albums or purchase them because it's amazing music and she's an amazing artist. Thank you, James. I hope I didn't talk too much. I got excited. I'm caffeinated. You ask good questions. You know, that's what hyped. we're here to do. That's what the front <laughs> row is all about. Just diving in and learning about artists. 
So thank you for, for, that's my, absolutely (laughs) my dream. You're a dream guest. Thank you, Rozzy. Thank you so much for having me. So fun. Don't forget to subscribe and review this podcast. And if you like it, share it with your friends or on social media. You can follow me on all social platforms by searching James Whiteside. My book, Center Center, a funny, sexy, sad, almost memoir, is available everywhere in all formats. Front Row uses music from the song A-flat by Black Violin. Check out the show notes on jamesbwhiteside.com for exclusive video and audio from this podcast. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.